I want to dive into our third part of our series. Uh, what do you do? A series on faith and work. And um, have you ever had this experience before? I had this experience recently. Maybe you can relate. So there was a movie I had, I had a friend recommend. And it was one of those recommendations that it kind of comes with like a lot of like, you have to see this movie. I even had some friends on social media. I saw posts about it. I read some great reviews about it. Like I was fired up. Uh, it, was, it was my Sabbath, which is uh, Friday night to Saturday night. So it was on Saturday. I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm excited. Come on, I even had a little bit of snacks, a little protein bar, you know, make sure we can get through the movie. Um, and I was excited. So I was a half an hour into the movie. And to be honest, it was uneventful. So I thought, maybe it's that movie that's slow to build. You know what I'm talking about? Like that movie that you're like, okay, I didn't pay for the first half, I paid for the second half, right, you know? Um, but then an hour in, I'd realize it's gotten as good as it's going to get. But anybody else you feel me, if you're already so invested in something, you finish it even if you don't like it. Come on, I was like, I don't even like this movie anymore, but I'm going to finish it because I feel better when I finish something. Come on, pray for me. I don't think that's healthy. But I did finish the movie, and it did not deliver what I thought was promised to me. Have you ever had an experience where you had an over-promise and an under-delivery? Someone was like, man, you got to read this book. And you spend hours reading that book, and you realize it wasn't that good. Or you need to, you need to go watch this movie or go to this restaurant and you end up investing that time, and it did not really uh, land what you had thought it would based upon recommendations. Here's what I believe, and you may not agree with this, but, but I, I believe this. In our, in our Western culture, I think our Western culture overpromises what work can provide and underdelivers. We're told this like kind of, you know, this, this sort of messaging, whether it's in the media or it's in maybe kind of vocational counseling that like, if you just find that right job, you're going to be fulfilled. Once you get into that, you know, that dream job, that job you've been dreaming about since you were a kid, once I get there, then everything's going to be okay. And that dream job you thought would bring fulfillment brings you more frustration. I mean, once I work for that one organization, I've been admiring this organization from afar. I've heard great things. And then you get in that organization and you realize it's full of imperfect people. Or maybe it's like, man, once I get into that graduate program, once I get that degree, then everything's going to be good. And you realize it's not meeting expectation. In fact, studies show that actually most people feel unfulfilled. They don't feel like their expectations aren't being met by their work. And maybe you felt that tension before. Maybe you feel that tension right now. And here, here's the encouraging part. We're going to look at God's word about how can, we, how can we find a sense of fulfillment and meaning, not necessarily in the work itself, um, but from God, but it can, it, can, it can spill over into our work. Uh, we're going to look at the life of Esther today. And uh, Esther is someone who I, I, I love to look at in Scripture for several reasons. Uh, number one, she was a queen in the government, in a Persian government, which is an ungodly uh, land. Um, uh, and she was a Jewish woman who was the queen uh, in Persia. Um, how many know God will call you into places um, that may not match uh, your sense of values or morals sometimes? And God called her into Persia. Um, and, but what's intriguing about this story is it shows how God moves in the midst of the government of Persia and through the land and in the lives of the Jewish people 
Uh, but let's pray first before we go dive in. Father, we just thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, we pray as we open it up, God, that you would speak to us. We posture our hearts and our minds to receive from you. We came to hear a word from you, God. I pray that you would speak through me today in Jesus' name. Amen. A little more about Esther. Esther is the only book of the Bible where the, where the name of God is not mentioned. Here's what biblical scholars say is that what Esther shows us um, is that even when God is not mentioned or even when you don't see God, God is still working. You know, there's a song called Waymaker. We say, even when I don't see it, I know you're working. Can I tell you, even when you don't see the movement of God in your life, he's moving. Can I submit this to you? God has actually blessed you far more than you realize. God's been better to you in this past year than you even fully comprehend. I'm speaking to myself as well, and perhaps even fully gave him enough gratitude for. Because God's always working in our life. He's always moving in our life, even when we do not know it or cannot see it. God is already working on your behalf. And that's what we see in the story of Esther, that God is, is moving throughout the, the kingdom of Persia. He's moving in the life of Esther. He's moving in the lives of Jewish people. And he, he takes a situation that seems dire for the Jewish people, and he turns it around. You know, the Bible, there's a scripture that says what the enemy meant for evil, God turns for good. Can I t- some of you need to get that in your spirit this morning. Because something bad has happened. Maybe you faced some hardship this year. Can I tell you what the enemy has meant to take you out? God will turn for good. What the enemy has meant to harm you, God will use to bless you. And that's not Jeremy's words. That's God's word. And God's word also says all of his words do not return empty. He fulfills every single one of them. When I'm preaching better than y'all are responding, but that's okay. As you know, I bring my own encouragement. Thank you, Jeremy. That was a good word. I know online everyone's crazy right now. So, so, so Esther, what eventually happens is Esther becomes queen of Persia. And while queen of Persia, her people, a Jewish people, uh, on the verge of annihilation. Mordecai, her uncle who raised her, uh, he basically confronts her and says, listen, perhaps you're in the kingdom for, for this time. And, and he reminds her that even in the, in the government, she has a purpose in the government. And she steps up on behalf of the Jewish people and saves them not only from annihilation, but actually they're elevated in the land of Susa, in, in the, throughout the Persian kingdom. So we're going to look. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about three ways um, that, that work under delivers, but how we see in the story of Esther, God delivers this for us. Here's the first point. If you're taking notes, um, I want you to write this down, and we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack this, is that God-inspired purpose turns meaningless work into meaningful work. Ecclesiastes 2.17, this is King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon's the author of many of the Proverbs, kind of shares his wisdom inspired from God. Ecclesiastes, you can view Ecclesiastes this way. Ecclesiastes is King Solomon on a bad day. <laughs> it's like if you had bad days and you wrote everything down. Like King Solomon is like having, having a bad day, bad week. It's like kind of his frustrations with life and how, how life under promises and over delivers. And here's what he says in verse 17 of chapter 2. So I hated life. <laughs> Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Have you ever felt like your work was grievous? Maybe you have some coworkers who are grievous. If they're with you here, just look forward. Don't look at them. All of this was meaningless, he says. He was a king. My work was meaningless. The upper echelons of his culture, meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Have you ever felt like your work was meaningless? 
Have you ever felt like maybe at one point you felt like there was meaning, but maybe the tasks you've been assigned, maybe the responsibilities that you have right now in work, maybe some of those, especially those little tasks that you have, you know, those little administrative stuff you have to go through at work, and you feel like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? You ever had those moments? I think we all do at some point, right? We all have a moment of just, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, it's this task, or maybe you're working for an organization that you just feel like, I don't know if their mission or their aim is really what I'm supposed to be giving my life to. Or maybe you've kind of felt before the, the work you're doing is not having the effect you hope for. Like, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Because it's, it's starting to feel, feel meaningless. It's starting to feel like a chasing after the wind. When I, when I stand before God at the end of life, will I, will, I, will I be able to stand before him knowing that I did what I was supposed to do with my life? That's where Solomon was. You know, I was reminded of, meaningless work and uh, several, uh, last week rather, uh, if we don't know, we, my wife and I, Christina, have three children. And uh, so there was one night, the two younger kids were in bed. I fell asleep early, don't judge me. Um, and uh, Christina was up with my oldest, Hannah. And they decided to kind of clean up the, the downstairs family room and living room. And the next morning, um, all three children get up and uh, we're getting them ready to get off to school and getting breakfast and everything. And my, my, my two-year-old, Abby, literally spends about 17 minutes in our family room, and it looks like a Category 5 hurricane hit the family room. Anybody have a child like this? Come on. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, did you just walk around and just fling stuff out of bins and off tables? Is that what you did? Um, and Christina had this moment like, why did I just do all that? I spent an hour last night cleaning up, and in 17 minutes, my two-year-old. Uh, but we can have those moments, right, where we wonder, like, or maybe you have a project in graduate school, medical school, and you're wondering, like, man, is this, is this actually meaningful work, or am I just doing some busy work? You ever felt like your boss or your professors gave you some busy work to, like, had no meaning, no significance? Maybe you can relate to Solomon. But here's the good news, because Esther is having a moment where she could have easily thought her work was meaningless. Because she was, um, to give context, before she became queen, she spent five months or I'm sorry, 12 months, 12 months of beauty treatments. Like she would go and she would just, they would try different cosmetics, different hairs, like beautification treatment for 12 months. Here's Esther. Like I'm called to be queen. I'm getting my makeup done. Is this all there is, Lord? You know, like, and she could have easily felt like her work was meaningless. And then here she is in the kingdom. Meanwhile, hearing word that her people, the Jewish people, were on the verge of annihilation, wondering, like, what am I doing here in the kingdom when my people are out there on the verge of annihilation? I should be out with them. And here's what her uncle Mordecai tells her. Just a, just a sign about Mordecai. This might be a new concept for some of you, but there's something called a type and shadow that we'll see throughout the Old Testament. Where these Old Testament characters, real people, were type and shadows. They were, they were kind of a foreshadowing of Christ who was to come, the perfect one, Jesus. Mordecai is known as a type and shadow of Christ. And you want to know how it comes out? Well, here's why. Because Mordecai, he, Mordecai leads Esther to ultimately bring deliverance to the Jewish people. In the same way, Christ, God, through Jesus, brings deliverance for us. And Mordecai does that. Here, here Mordecai speaks to Esther. He says this. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, Esther, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. In other words, God's will will be fulfilled on the earth. Uh, he says, but you and your family will, will perish. And who knows, some of you know this scripture, 
that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know why I love that? You know what it gets you excited about that? Because Esther was not a pastor of a church. Esther was not a full-time church missionary. Esther was a queen in the government. And he says, perhaps God called you to be queen in a pagan government for this purpose. And some of you need to know this. Perhaps God has called you to the federal government, to NIH, to that business, to that wherever you work for such a time as this. You know, here's a reality. God, a God-inspired or God-given purpose can turn meaningless work into meaningful work. Here's my thought. Maybe she had a moment where she thought, that's why I had 12 months of beauty treatments. That, that's why I spent all of this time with the king to be chosen by him. What I thought was insignificant, what I thought was meaningless, God had purpose for. And can I tell you, maybe somebody in this room right now, you feel like you are in a meaningless work season. Perhaps the work you're doing now, like the work she was doing then, is preparing you for the purpose and God has for you in the future in the same way it was preparing her for the future that God had for her be faithful but she 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 listened to Mordecai in the same way can I encourage you that we need to be listening to the voice of God we need to hear from God God what is the purpose that you have for me why do you have me where I am and can I submit this to you I said this last week but but sometimes God will call you into places that spiritually can feel very dark even immoral even even hard and can I tell you the reason God calls you often to places that are very spiritually dark is because he has actually called you the light of the world. And you say, the reason you feel like it's so hard, that's why I have you there. Because while others gossip, you only speak life. When, when others lack integrity and they'll cheat and be dishonest, you'll be honest and be a person of integrity and uprightness. And you'll shine my light in that place. That's why I've called you there. And Mordecai says, Esther, perhaps this is why you're here in Persia. And here's Mordecai on the outside of the kingdom. Just on a side note, Mordecai was, was banished from the kingdom. Later, he, he gets redeemed to a much higher level. But, but just also a side note, if you feel like perhaps some way you've been forgotten about or you've been left out, can I encourage you? Read the story of Esther and Mordecai because God's purposes were fulfilled and God works all things together for good. So, so, he, so, so, so he reminds Esther of her purpose and her calling. It reminds me of Jeremiah 29 and 8. The Lord is speaking to the, to the Israelites. They're in Babylon. They're in exile. They're in a place they don't want to be. And he says, this is what the Lord of the heaven of armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. In other words, don't lend your ear to culture and hope that they'll somehow tell you your purpose or what you're supposed to do. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are the plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Can I tell you, listen, when you're trying to discern, discover your purpose or what you're supposed to do, whether it's in work, or can I just say this, really in anything, before you lend your ear to culture or even a mentor, look in the word of God. Because God's got a purpose for you. And God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Can I, can I submit this question for you? Why would you not consult with him? Why would you not consult with somebody who knows everything? He knows the end from the beginning. I was reminded of a story of uh, years ago when I was working as a psychologist. I was my, my fifth year of my career. Um, I know you're surprised because I look much younger. I know, I know. Um, most people are. Um, 
my fifth year of my career, and I was having this moment. My first four years, I felt like, you know, I feel fulfilled in my work. I felt like things were going well. Naturally, the enemy can deceive you because you can feel like things are going well, then all of a sudden you realize you've actually been trying to find fulfillment in something that can never fulfill you. Different note. Uh, but I was, I was working, I, was, I was, had this moment. I remember I was at my, my office desk, and I, I honestly, I, I felt like I was, um, it was just a hard year. I was in a new school that I was working in, and I felt like organizationally that, like, I couldn't really affect positive change. Um, I, I had felt, like, frustrated that I wasn't, like, um, seeing the, the difference I was hoping to make. And then I had one of those coworkers. You ever have a coworker that you feel just works against you? It's like everything, like, you go left, they go right. Like, it was that kind of, she was just, I felt like we were always in tension and in conflict. And we were supposed to be, like, partners, so I, I literally was at my morning, my, my, my desk this morning, I was literally praying for deliverance. Like, God, deliver me from this place. Like, I need a new job. Like, give me a new job now, Jesus. Like, <laughs> and you know, here's what I found sometimes. Sometimes when you're praying for deliverance, God will give you purpose. Because I was praying, God, get me out of here. And then he reminded me why he placed me there. Because all of a sudden, he brought to mind a project that I was working on, which was a, a mentoring program for these high school students to help prevent dropout. Uh, their dropout rate was increasing in the county, and I was a part of this initiative to reduce the dropout rate and help students who were on the verge of failing out of high school. And um, he reminded me of a, of a work that I was called to do. And then he reminded me of two people that I work alongside. And he had called me to love and to serve there in that, that office place. And uh, he did not deliver me there in that moment, and I now know why. Uh, some months pass, and one of those two people, some of you may have heard this story, I, I shared it before, one of those two people uh, came to the church that I, would, I, I attended. She gave her life to Christ, and then when I went on staff at that church, I actually water baptized her. And God showed me, this is why I have you here. Can I encourage some of you right now? Listen, if you're wondering, God, what do you have for me? Why am I here? Why am I working here? These people are crazy. Please help me. Deliver me. Ask God, God, what's the purpose that you have for me? Why do you have me here? And, and he might move you. I don't want to make it seem like if, if you leave, it's not God's will. He might move you. Um, and eventually he did for me. But, but he also might have a purpose for you to fulfill while you're there. Here's point number two. Number one is a God-given purpose will turn meaningless work into meaningful work. Number two is faithfulness to God will turn fruitless work into fruitful work. Genesis 3, 17 and 18, this is the creation story. Uh, by this point, if you're familiar with scripture, Adam and Eve um, had just eaten from the tree of good and evil. So they had disobeyed God. And here's what Lord, the Lord says to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit uh, from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food and eat from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Now, there's a lot in this passage I could, I could go on. But here's what I want to I I focus on one aspect of this passage. So he tells Adam, number one, that work will be hard. If you ever wonder why work is hard, blame Adam and Eve, okay? <laughs> he says work will be painful. It's going to be hard. But then he says this. This is intriguing. He says, the very ground in which you will pull fruit and, and, and vegetation from to feed you will also produce thorns and thistles that can hurt you. 
So he says, you're going you're gonna to sow, you're going to work the fields, you're going to work the garden, and some days you'll be fruitful. Some days those kids that you're teaching, it'll click for them. But then some days it'll seem like they forgot what you even said yesterday. That some days all that effort you put in to sell that product or to, to provide that service, you're going to feel like there's wind behind your sails. And then other days you'll put in just as much work, maybe even more work, and you'll sell nothing. Why? Because here's what he says, and I want you to hear this. Because of Christ, work is no longer cursed, as he says there. Christ has redeemed work for us. That because of Christ, our work can be redemptive. But I want you to catch this. Even though our work has been redeemed, and if you listen to first, the first week, God works through our work, but we still live in a fallen world. That's why as a parent, I have had a conversation with my son 3,277 times about the importance of not fighting with your sister and the importance of not taking her stuff intentionally, just to intentionally, what seems to be, make her upset. But still, this morning, before I bring them to church, I have two conflict negotiation conversations about the very thing. I'm like, what am I even doing as a parent? Like, fruit, like I'm getting thorns and thistles. Here's what that can look like, that you can put all this work into a research project, and you can do your very best, and you can be faithful to what you feel like God's calling you to do, and your results can come back inconclusive. You can try your hardest on that research report for school and still get a C. You can put all this effort, all this energy, hone your craft, get the proper education, but your presentation may fall flat. Why? Because we live in a fallen world, that our world is imperfect, that this isn't paradise. We'll live a part of a new heavens and a new earth. See, I want you to catch this. This was something I had to learn. Maybe you already know this, but your work will never be fruitful enough to fulfill your soul. Never. You'll never be wealthy enough. You'll never accomplish enough. You'll never have as many letters behind your name as you want. It will never fulfill the void in your soul. And our culture sells the lie that it will. If you just have one more zero behind that, if you have one more, if you get that PhD, if you do, no. Because here's what happens. You'll do those things, and you're going to reach to pull out fruit. You're going to see, did I produce results that fulfill me? And you'll get thorns and thistles that will cut you. Why? Because it can never fulfill you. But here's the good news. There's somebody who can fulfill you. He's God. I want you to catch this, Esther 4.16. So Esther, here's the news. Esther, you are in the kingdom for such a time as this to deliver the Jews from annihilation. And, and here, here's what she says. This is her first response. Now, let me, let me say this. I, I think if this was in a, in a Western culture, in a modern context, if you were faced with a big problem at work, here would be our natural response. Maybe if you're with me, maybe you can nod your head. This would be me. And I think this is our Western culture. We would get a team together. We'd have a meeting with a strategic plan and a budget and roles and responsibilities, right? Like, we got a problem, let's crush this. Come on, right? We'd work day and night, like, come on, rise and grind, hashtag no days off, right? Here's Esther, not a pastor, queen of the government, but on mission and a full-time minister. 
And what does she do? Her first response is not, let's, let's get a plan together. Her first response is not, let's have a strategic meeting. No, she says, go gather all of the Jews and fast. And what's common is anytime that fasting is mentioned in that Jewish culture at that time, prayer was always accompanied by it. Do you catch this? A government leader, she calls a fast, not a meeting. She seeks God, not counsel. I'm not saying you shouldn't have the strategic plan. I'm not saying you shouldn't have the meeting. But perhaps the problem that you're facing can only be solved by the God who created you. And she seeks the God of the universe first. We're going to fast and pray for three days. Instead of trying to figure this out, instead of trying to solve this, we are going to seek God. Can I tell you right now? Listen. If you are feeling like, man, my work is not fruitful enough, can I tell you, maybe, maybe, and I'm not saying this is like, thus says the Lord, but maybe for you, you need to seek God's perspective of it. You know, and this is just, just, I'm reading between scriptures, so this is not like what the Bible says, but, but here's my thought, is perhaps, perhaps Esther knew this. Number one, <laughs> I cannot solve this problem without the power of God behind me. And can I tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the spirit of God on the inside of you. You know what that means? Here's some encouraging news. Hell will come against you. And can I tell you, you and your natural self cannot conquer hell. I can't conquer hell. But the spirit of God inside of me conquered death, hell, and the grave. Therefore, why would not I access the power on the inside of me to conquer the problem that's before me? I'm not saying going tomorrow to your office place. Say, hey, everybody, we're going to fast and pray for three days. <laughs> May not go over well. Um, but but, but maybe, maybe that's something God's calling you to do. You can invite others to pray with you about something. And here's what, so I, here's what I think. I think Esther knew one is I can't, I can't overcome this problem without God's power. And I also think perhaps you understood in order for me to solve this problem, I need God's perspective. Because my mind is finite. My, meaning, I'm limited. You're limited. But we serve a God who's unlimited. We serve a God who's all-knowing. We serve a God whose capacity knows no end. He spoke the world into existence. So I think, Shay, I'm going to seek God's perspective on this. You know, I, um, some, some time ago, I, I did a presentation. And I put a lot of time and energy into this presentation. Um, as I do messages for, for Sundays, and um, when I had the presentation, I got done. I felt like the presentation didn't go over like I thought it would. Have you ever had that done before? Like a project didn't work and you, you feel like it just didn't, didn't translate like you wanted it to or a presentation you had or a meeting you led? That's what I felt like. So I, I, when I got home later that, that day, I, I was praying to God about it because I was kind of frustrated. Um, and, you know, just on a side note, the Bible says you can cast your anxieties on God. Um, and he cares for you. So I began to do that. Two things happened. God comforted me in my pain. Um, but also, God shifted my perspective. That's why prayer is so powerful, because God will, will change your perspective of things. And here's what he did. He said, he showed me, um, Jeremy, you were focusing on your performance. And I was focusing on the people who received it. And he showed me one person 
that I know my presentation positively impacted. In that moment, I realized I was looking for the wrong fruit. Here's what I was doing. I was looking for an orange in an apple tree. I was looking for the wrong fruit. I was measuring success by the wrong measure. Perhaps you have not been fruitful. Perhaps you have the wrong measuring stick. Perhaps you're focusing on how well your presentation came across that didn't go well, but perhaps God is looking at how even in the face of failure, people could see that you were unshaken and they could see your godly character. Perhaps you're wondering, maybe this project didn't go well, and you're focusing on your performance, and he's focused on the people who are being impacted by how you carry yourself. Here's my question. Ask God, God, show me the fruit that you're measuring in my life. Because when you stand before God at the end of this, which we all will, we, and part of my role as a pastor is to prepare you. When this life is all over and you stand before Jesus Christ at the end of days, he's not going to measure your life by the fruit that you wanted to produce. He'll measure your life by the fruit that he intended for us to produce. And that's not to be scary or overwhelming, but that's to encourage you. Seek him for the fruit. God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Let me just submit this one thought to you, and then I'll move on. But you know that many people could have looked at Jesus' life on earth and deemed him unsuccessful. Because actually his, his, his close followership was 12, right? And, and the people that actually followed him were actually on his time on earth very small. So if you look purely in a natural lens life of Jesus, you're like, he wasn't that successful. But he wasn't living for this world. He was living for the kingdom of heaven. May that be an example for all of us, that we would live a life that would advance the kingdom of heaven. We would live a life that would glorify God. Because at the end of days, I'm not saying anything unimportant, but God cares less about achievement and wealth and education. He looks at more, are you producing the fruit that I intended for you to produce in your life? Those things aren't bad. They're just not the main thing. Jesus said this in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Strong words. He's he's saying, without me, you will produce no fruit that will last in your life. But with me, you'll bear much fruit. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you Uh, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. He wants you to bear much fruit. Do you know what produces fruitfulness in your life? Obedience to God's word produces lasting fruitfulness in your life. Can I be honest for a moment? In our Western culture that we love independence, we have an independence day in our country. We love independence. You know what independence does not like? Obedience. Because you know why? Obedience means somebody is Lord over my life. And it's not me. Many people in America, we are an entrepreneurial country because many people will start their own businesses because they don't want to have a boss. That's just, I mean, that research has shown that. Some people, they do it because like, I'm tired of answering somebody else. I'm not saying, like, if you have your own business, that's, not, that's a great thing. But here's what I'm saying. Listen, if you want to produce lasting fruit, you need a Lord in your life, and that Lord is Jesus. And you need to obey his word in your life. Sometimes, listen, 
We need to look to what does God's word have to say about how I handle the situation? And you may not feel like it, but you still should do it. And not to be a burden, but to actually for your benefit. And the same applies to our work life. And can I give you quickly one simple thing? I want to I challenge you. And for some of you, this will be a big challenge. For others of you, you're already doing this. I'm going to give you a big challenge of something to put into your life to obey. I'm not going to get into details. I did a whole message on this back in August. So you can listen to it on our YouTube channel. Is I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to practice a weekly Sabbath. The word Sabbath, uh, the Bible says to practice Sabbath unto God. In the Old Testament, it was a law. In the New Testament, Jesus says the Sabbath is not for God, it's for man. In other words, the Sabbath is no longer a rule to keep, it's a gift to receive. And Sabbath, the Hebrew word, the original Hebrew word literally means to cease from work. It means you stop working. Whatever you do for your paid work, you have a day of the week where you don't do that work. Now, some of you, you'll have, you know, it's harder because your boss demands certain things from you. And I'm not going to get into those nuances. But for the majority of people, majority of people, we can, we, can, we, can, we can choose to take a day. Now, it's not just a day off. It's a day of rest unto God. Different. They're different. And, and that's why I think if you're able to is to take Sunday because you can come and worship God. You can have a day. And I, I, think, I think for a Sabbath, Here's where God really I like highlighted the importance of the Sabbath to me, which I didn't always practice the Sabbath. What's ironic, it's one of the Big Ten Commandments. Most of us will not argue that we should be able to murder people, <laughs> which is also one of the Big Ten. <laughs> but we'll break the Sabbath all the time in our Western culture. Right? Come on, hashtag no days off. So I was in an Apple store because we know that God doesn't show up at Android stores. Um, he will use iMessage. So prepare yourself for glory. Um, and get an Apple product. Um, you know, uh, so I, was in an, I went to an Apple store because my phone was running slow. And like the data was running slow and like text messages weren't coming through. Like I had people be like, hey, did you get my text? I'm like, no. And then like four hours later, it would come through. And then my phone would like randomly like shut off. It just like would shut off randomly. I'm like, what is this? So I went to Apple store. So I'm expected to be like, oh, this is it. We'll fix it for you like that, or, you know, come on. I don't know anybody else, you hope this? They're like, oh, here's a new phone. Come on, you're like, I hope, just give me a new phone. Just give me a new phone. Yes, I'll take the latest iPhone, okay. Um, here's the first question he asked me. He says, how often do you turn it off? I said, turn it off? I haven't turned it off since I got it. <laughs> I was like, I use this phone to send messages to friends, to call my wife to send emails for work, to check social media, probably too much. Come on, to watch Netflix at night. And I use it as a white noise app when I sleep. So I was like, I never turn it off. He said, that's your problem. He said, the phones are designed to be turned off at least weekly, if not daily. He says, if you don't turn off your phone at least weekly, then your phone, you are shortening the longevity of its life. Can I tell you? Listen, the creator, the creators of the iPhone, if an iPhone needs to rest, how much more does your body and soul need to rest? Can I, some of you, the most holy thing you can do today is take a nap. I'm telling you, yesterday I took a nap. So my Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. 
Um, and I start preparing for Sunday again on Saturday night. Yesterday, about 1.30, it's a common practice for me. Don't judge me. If you do it, you'll love it. We have a movie on. The kids are watching a movie, and they know what daddy's about to do. You can watch a movie. Daddy's going to watch his eyelids, okay? I took a nap. I woke up, and I felt holy. I felt the Lord. An hour and a half nap. The world kept going. Some of you, listen, you just need a nap. You need a day of rest unto God. Say, God, I'm giving you this day. And can I tell you, here's what happens to me 100% of the time. By the time Friday night comes around, I never feel like I got everything done. I never do. I always feel like there's work left. And can I tell you, I think that's intentional by God because he wants you to trust him with the rest. Because if you felt like you were ready for it, well, you know what I've learned? To? I learned to step into it and say, you know what? You know what the Sabbath does for me? And I think it will do for you. It reminds, it reminds me that my value is not in what I do. It's in who I am in Christ. Because God loves me and he values me just as much when your boy is napping on a Saturday afternoon as he does when I'm doing what I do for work. The same is true for you. I'm telling you, if you begin to practice, it took me a while to really get a rhythm. But when you practice the Sabbath, it'll be transformative in your life. Uh, it has been for me. I believe it will be for you. If you want more, more on the Sabbath, I did a whole message in August on it. I would encourage you to listen to it um, and put that into practice. Here's the last point. Is that selflessness will turn self-destructive work into successful work. I'm going to summarize Genesis chapter 11. It's uh, the beginning of it. It talks about a people called uh, the people of Babel. Babel. Many of you know this story. And what happens in verse 4, they basically say, we're going to build a tower to make ourselves great, to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower uh, in 2021 language so I can get ahead, so I can establish my brand, so I can build a platform, so I can get my name on the table, so I can build my resume. I'm going to make a name great for myself. And then verse 8, what happens is the Lord scatters them. The Lord's like, no, no. <laughs> scatters them throughout the world. He breaks it up. Now, now, let me give you the reason why. Let me give you one more scripture, James 4, 6. It says that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So you can, you can word that. He, he, he opposes the self-centered, and he gives favor to the selfless. Here's why. I have found my own life personally. Is that God, and that word opposes, it literally means that God aggressively comes against you. Can I submit this to you? Perhaps it's not the devil working against you. It's God saving you from yourself. Because the Bible says pride comes before the fall. Self-centeredness comes before self-destruction. We've all seen somebody who's been prideful and they've, they've fallen or they've destructed relationships, destroyed relationships, they've destroyed parts of their life. He'll save you from yourself. I was reminded of uh, uh, my daughter. Um, you know, they found the Scientific American Journal in 2014 published a study. They actually found infants naturally, we come out of the womb naturally selfless. They found that infants between zero and 12 months are actually more empathetic and compassionate towards others than we are as adults. So you know what they found actually increases um, self-centeredness in adults? Is when you feel threatened. 
we live in a culture of competition. Many of you work in workplaces that are competitive. What does competition do? It makes you feel threatened. You know, let me bring it down to everyone's level. In 2020, and even this past year, we've all been threatened. You know, they've actually found there's still, still longitudinal studies are, gonna, are, gonna, are in the process of being made. But they actually found this pandemic has made us as a people more self-centered. Because social isolation and when you feel threatened, you become more self-centric. And we were initially created to be selfless. And self-centeredness precedes self-destruction. Esther has a moment where she says this in verse 16. Uh, she, she, she calls a prayer and fasting, and then she says this, I'm gonna go to the king, which in that day, if you were to go to the king, even as the queen, if you were to go to the king without being summoned, like even his own wife could not go before a king without being summoned in that culture. If you went without being summoned, the penalty was death. So she says, that's it, I'll go. And if I perish, I perish. What happened with Esther? She realized this life is not my own. I am here to fulfill a purpose beyond my, my own life. And if I perish, I perish. I'm going to live selfless. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 24, Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He's speaking about a church enjoying their freedoms in Christ. And he says that we are actually, that no one should seek their own good, but we're called to seek the good of others. You know what selflessness looks like at work? It looks like being willing to help out a coworker and get no credit. It's being willing when someone, if you're a manager on your team messes up, you take full blame. It's, it's, it's when you, maybe there's a new employee and you'll get no benefit from this, but you still willingly choose to mentor them and help them along. It's when you do things expecting nothing in return. Can I tell you, I believe in our Western culture, that's attractive. Because we've all seen people at work who will step over each other, who will gossip on each other's backs. When you live differently, it's attractive. Why? Because it's giving people a glimpse of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. My last scripture. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to close with this story of a woman that some of you may know, someone in first service, she like knew more about this woman than I did. It's awesome. Florence Nightingale. She is known as a founder of modern nursing. She, at the age of 17, grew up in a household that loved Jesus. She had, she had this calling. Like last week, we spoke about a calling from God last week. She had a calling from God. Here's what she felt. God was calling her to serve people. That's all she knew. Fast forward to 1850s. Um, great Britain is, in, is, in, is at war with Russia. There's been great casualty uh, on the front line. Um, they, they, the, the hospitals, the military hospitals were overwhelmed with soldiers. So at the time, women were not nurses but they opened it up because they needed, they needed help. Florence Nightingale comes in and she was like a woman on, on a mission. Like God's called me to selflessly serve. I'm going to do that. So she ends up um, through her practice of nursing. 
She puts in, she realized how unsanitary it was. She realized that all these soldiers were dying because the, the way they practiced nursing and treated people was so unsanitary. She then put into all these new practices of general of treatment and how to just go about the nursing practice. She, she transformed and reformed the nursing practice to where colleges still teach her work today. A school was opened to train nurses in her name. A hospital was opened, St. Thomas Hospital, because of the work that she did. At one point, the Secretary of War even sought her counsel because she stood out so much by the work that she was doing. Florence Nightingale then died at the age of 38 years old. Not a long life. She actually died of a disease, many believe she contracted while serving soldiers. She gave her life selflessly in service. But her life is still impacting people today to where nurses are being trained with her work. People are telling about her story and her service. And what was her motivation? Our King Jesus. Can I tell you, that's what we are called to do, church. Listen, your work will never fulfill you enough. It won't fulfill the void in your soul. Only Christ can. It'll never be meaningful enough. It can't be without a God-given purpose. And listen, God's definition of greatness is selfless service to others. It's not building a kingdom unto ourselves, but building it for unto him in service and in love to others. Let's pray. Can you bow your heads with me?